I knew he was going to raise. I just didn't know where he was going to raise up from. I know Dame's comfortable with shooting from just about anywhere, but I was just kind of watching his demeanor and how he was kind of rocking back and forth. And it went from 12 seconds to eight seconds to seven to five. And I'm looking like, he steals by the logo. As he was stepping towards me, I was, I stepped away from him. So the little space that he did try to, the ground that he did try to gain, I basically created that ground right back just by stepping to the side. So you get confidence to do that stuff in the game from all little hours and all of the time that you put in working on it. And me and Phil is like, we'll see stuff on film and he'll be like, look, dang, you can get this. Welcome to the Dikembe Mutombo episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 55. Currently in Portland, Oregon, uh, wrapping up a amazing series against the Oklahoma City Thunder where we were able to come back from behind down 15 uh, and take victory during what was probably the best game winner I've seen in person and probably the best individual performance I've ever been a part of. Um, as an NBA player, uh, it was truly unbelievable. Dame hits a game winner at the buzzer from 37 feet. Looked from about 40 feet from where I was standing, but uh, ESPN tracked it around 37 feet at the buzzer. Very reminiscent of the shot he hit, you know, five years ago against the Houston Rockets, which was a different fashion. You know, point nine seconds left, um, down two, hits the game winner to change the change the momentum of this series to finish this series and give us the victory, man. One of, one of the more incredible shots I've seen. Playoffs are still going right now. As we record this pod, the Utah Rockets, the Utah Rockets, the Houston Rockets and Utah Jazz have just tipped off. The Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Clippers will be also playing, you know, with both teams uh, looking to close their series out. And without further ado, welcome Jordan Schultz to the Pull Up Pod. As always, Damian Lillard will be joining us uh, momentarily to discuss last night's victory as well. Congratulations, CJ. What a night at the Moda. So with Dame's shot, the shot, we can call it now, there's like four seconds left, and we can see you, bottom right of the screen, like motioning to Dame, go, 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 because there wasn't a lot of time left. Did you think that he was going to pull that deep, 37 feet, basically from the... Logo? Yeah. Um, I knew he was going to raise. I just didn't know where he was going to raise up from. Uh, when we got the stop, uh, shout out to Chief, too, for a great defensive play. You know, going into the timeout, Chief was like, let me get Westbrook in case they do a high uh, screen and roll. I can switch it with Mo, or I can switch it with you know, whatever big is coming or if Paul George comes. You know, he got a great defensive stop, you know, kind of walled up, you know, forced Westbrook into a tough um, finish around the basket, and then we all boxed out, secured the rebound, and Dame kind of dribbled dribbled the timeout. And as I'm looking, I'm thinking one, like three things. Paul George has five fouls. We're in the bonus. Um, I know Dame's comfortable with shooting from just about anywhere, but I was just kind of watching his demeanor and how he was kind of rocking back and forth. And it went from 12 seconds to eight seconds to seven to five, and I'm looking like, he's still by the logo. You know what I mean? He's still by half court. He hasn't really moved yet. Uh, but I start signaling, like, go, like, <laughs> attack. Yeah. And he waited, you know, a second and a half longer before he eventually took his pound dribble step back with about three seconds. And uh, the ball traveled, and I think someone, someone mentioned that the shot was so far, he backpedaled four steps before it went through the net. Huh. Cash, right as the time, right as the buzzer sounds, cash. 
what did what did Terry say in the huddle other than Dame, you go? Was it like did you anticipate they would send a trap to spread the floor? You weren't you were gonna be on the obviously the right corner in case he dribble kicked. I mean, what what was the play? Because it looked like he had full autonomy just to read the situation. Yeah, I mean, we didn't even have a play, you know, per se called. We we had an inbounds play on two possessions prior where Dame finished a a quick layup around the basket, yeah. you know, basically gave us a chance for a two for one, you know, with a finesse layup. And then Russell kind of came down, dribbled a lot of the clock down and attacked the basket. Once we got the rebound, we kind of looked up and seen it was 14, 15 seconds and we could get the last shot. So we kind of just ran down court and looked at coach and coach signaled flat. You know, he kind of waved everybody down, like get on the baseline, get low. And uh, our spacing is just based on some of the things we've gone over um, throughout the season and historically, you know, load up on one side, put a shooter strong side corner. Uh, so I went to the strong side and uh, kind of just, you know, put my hands on my knees and watch just like everybody else. And <laughs> uh, it was a spectacular, spectacular play for from a guy who, you know, rehearses a lot of these moments. You know, people talk about, you know, it's a, you know, deep shot. It's very far. There's only a few people in the league that are capable of taking and making that shot. You know, I would say Steph Curry's a guy who would potentially take a deep three uh, in those circumstances and have the confidence to make it. James Harden's another guy who's historically taken deep threes. And Dame, I think Trey Young's a guy who has the capability, but obviously having only played one year, he hasn't entered that conversation just yet, but I think he's well on his way. But that's a very comfortable shot for a guy who was shooting in that game, uh, four for four for six from over 30 feet and eight for 12, you know, in this series from over 30 feet. And those are crazy numbers. And I thought it was ironic. The first shot of this series was from the Moda Center logo. And the last shot was from uh, basically Bend, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said on Twitter, bro. Did you know that? You said it was from Bend, Oregon? Yeah, I said no, it was I from Bend, Oregon. That. That's, That's so hilarious. funny. So I was going to say Beaverton, but then I was like, oh, Dame's, a, Dame's an Adidas guy. So I shouldn't say Nike. So I just said Ben because it's kind of well known for the fly fishing. There you go. A little fly fishing uh, segment there for you, for our, for our pull-up fans. Um, when, you, when you saw the ball in the air, at what point did you think it was going in? Did you think it was going in the whole time? You know, what was your thought process? I mean, I kind of just paused and watched the ball travel. I was just kind of like slow motion, you know what I mean? And you just kind of look up and you watch the ball and look at the trajectory of the ball, you look at how it's traveling, and you kind of look at the fans behind the basket because they have a better angle. And I see the ro- uh, not the Rockets, I see the Thunder bench kind of looking at the trajectory of the ball, and then it goes in and you pause, and you're like, wow, he just hit that. And then you celebrate, and it kind of sets in that not only is the game over, but the series is over. Were you surprised at all that it went in? No, I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't surprised. I was I was kind of surprised he took so long. You right. know what I mean? I was like, wow, he's he really sized it up, looked at him, sidestepped to the right, which is a, a super tough shot. I know he likes the left the left uh, pound step back, but he's also comfortable with the right. Um, I was like, wow, he really rolls from 40 feet for the game. I thought he would get a little closer, but I wasn't surprised it went in just because of the range he has and the type of night he was having. You know, that was his 10-3 of the game. That was his 50th point of the game, and – he was locked in this entire series and especially this game, you know, with me getting in foul trouble, him having to carry more of an offensive load, him having to play 24 straight minutes to start the game. You know, you could just kind of see how locked in he truly was. You said after the game in your presser, see, that uh, you had told him, you know, let me know when you need me. 
And obviously you had a terrific fourth quarter, but at what point were you like, it's Dame time. I don't want to, uh, I'm, I'm just going to let him go. Cause it seemed like the last couple of possessions, he had the drive, obviously the game winner. Uh, he, he was like, I'm taking these shots. Yeah. I mean, I just try to let him go when he's in a rhythm and, you know, we both do that for each other. When when someone's, you know, really locked in and, and hot, you ride the hot hand. So when I came back in in the third quarter, I was kind of passive. Um, I mean, I took a couple threes. I tried to get to the basket a little bit when the shot clock was expiring, but and I wasn't trying to get in the way, you know what I'm saying, or force my way into the game. And he was like, be aggressive, attack. He was like, PG got four fouls, attack, get downhill and, and make plays. And that's why I was just trying to be aggressive. And a couple shots ended up taking down the stretch. They were denying him. And face guard, no man. Part of our plan was that they deny a face guard, push and transition and kind of attack, because it's basically four on four. You got numbers, um, and I like our our chances when the floor is space. I'm coming downhill, so I tried to get him the ball on one of those possessions, and he was denied. And he kind of looked and he, he kind of fought to try to get open, but it was too close to the sideline. So I hit PG with a left or right pull up, bang, and then a couple other possessions. Um, Dame kind of drove or kicked it. And I just attacked, got into the lane and shot, you know, very comfortable uh, floaters. And besides that, I was just trying to look to, to get him the ball because he was cooking. He was uh, fishing, shooting 60-some percent from the field and essentially scoring every play every way. So I was just trying to make sure bro was getting the ball in, in good spots. So in baseball, when somebody's pitching a perfect game or a no-hitter, uh, you know, usually a lot of people won't talk to him or they don't want to bother him. When Dame's in his zone like that or you're in his zone like that, are guys talking to you a lot, or is it more quiet, let you work? I mean, we, we communicate the same, you know, as if it's an, uh, just another night. You know, if there's something I see that I, I feel like he should do, I tell him. If there's something he sees he feels like I should do, he tells me, and we just kind of keep hooping. That's just the mentality. You know, defensively, it's something that we've been really focusing on, so we'll always talk about that. Like, all right, let's just keep getting stops. Let's get three stops in a row. Let's get a stop right here, score another stop. Let's keep rebounding, preventing second chance opportunities. Let's make sure we're not turning the ball over. Just little things like that to kind of remind ourselves uh, what we need to accomplish um, collectively in order to win the game. I thought there was a real, really interesting dichotomy between the Thunder and the Blazers, specifically between Russ and Dame, in that it seemed like Russell was so focused and fixated on going after Dame, but Dame and then you guys as a whole almost just let it be and we're so locked in from a team standpoint that you didn't get caught up in that he said she said deal like it wasn't about what Russell was doing it was about what you guys were doing yeah we were just focused on ourselves and that's what we've done all season we haven't worried about what people think what the media says uh, expectations or the lack of expectations we're just worried about executing our game plan Coaches gave us a game plan, you know, gave us some things that we could do uh, in order to execute and come away with a win. And that was our main focus. Focus on your job, focus on how you can help uh, impact this game and and not worry about anything else. And I think that was, you know, in our better interest to to focus our energy, our efforts towards defense, towards corralling, you know, their two best players, towards getting rebounds, towards sharing the ball, towards being super aggressive on offense. And you know, for the most part, out of those five games, we consistently did that. More show in a minute, but first, support for Pull Up with CJ McCullough comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website. 
Choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their websites. Create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash pull up to get 10% off. Okay, back to the show. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. I want to welcome my homie Damian Lillard back to the Pull Up Pod. Appreciate you joining us, man. I was just talking about the game from last night. Um, know you're trying to get some rest on this nice off day, so we won't keep you too long, man. But uh, we were just talking about, you know, how we kind of approach, you know, empowering the hot hand, you know, down the stretch of games and and throughout games. Jordan asked me if we, you know, kind of kind of approach it like baseball where we don't really say much to each other and I told him that we, we we keep it pretty consistent whether you know we're hot or not you know on, on really just focusing on how to execute down the stretch and how to win the games but just want to kind of talk about you know your mindset and mode heading into that game last night Chris Haynes you know kind of gave some in-depth on the focus that you had you know only you know this season but more specifically this playoffs uh, how important was it for us to to finish them off and not have to get back on the plane and go to Oklahoma I mean, it was really important. I think the main thing is just, you know, looking back on our, our postseason last last year and, you know, how big of a failure it was and how much how much we got drugged for that performance. And then coming into this one, um, I thought we had a great start to it. You know, our mentality was right. Uh, we came out in attack mode on both ends of the floor and we got ourselves in a position where, okay, we up 3-1. We can finish them in five at home. And it was just one of those situations where you like, you drop this game, you're going back on the road where you don't want to be. So it's going to be a challenge mentally to engage and get another road win. So that one win they got on our floor could turn into two. And now you're coming home with more pressure on you to win game seven. And the narrative has changed. So um, just like down the stretch of that of that game, um, just trying to keep keep my composure. Uh, make sure that I didn't try to do too much uh, and just do the same stuff we always do. Uh, when I'm attacking, I'm always uh, making sure I'm on the opposite side of the floor at CJ. Um, so if I don't have nothing or if I'm throwing it out there, I'm throwing it to him and vice versa. Or if he make a shot, then I'm going to be the person on the weak side and 
let him play. He had two big pull-ups, a big floater. Um, and a lot of times my man is hugging and his is doing the same thing, maybe. So, I mean, just doing what we do in the regular season, but making sure that we, we're not passive and we just assertive, you know, making sure we got our, our imprint on the game. That mindset, Dame, you said not doing too much. That, that's exactly what CJ and I were just talking about in terms of, like, you know, allowing the game to come to you and, be, and being assertive and finding that balance. At what point last night did you realize that you were going to have a special night? Like, do you know, do you feel extra good in warm-ups? Uh, obviously, you were super motivated to come out and close it out. But when did you realize that, that last night was going to be really special? Uh, actually... Uh, like in the morning, I woke up. I felt pretty good, but it was like usually after shoot around, I like linger around the practice facility and take my time doing everything. But like I got the cold tub, I got the hot tub, and I was showered and out of there like an hour and a half before I I would on the other game day. And I got home early and I took a nap. I got up from the nap. It was still early, and I kind of just laid around. I opened up the blinds in my room, and I was just I just had a good feeling. Um, but I also knew that it was going, we was going to have to go through something to, to pull it out. And, uh, once CJ got into foul trouble and we weren't making a lot of shots, I was like, man, I'm not waiting. I got to get in attack mode and kind of, kind of force it a little bit and, and get a little bit more aggressive. And, you know, once I started to see it go in, it was feeling good coming off my hands. Uh, I was getting to the spots that I wanted to get to. I was like, this is going to end up being one of those nights. I think we were down 15 at one point in the fourth quarter, and no one panicked. I looked at the bench. I looked at the staff. I kind of read our body language. I read the fans' body language. I think the fans were on ice. They were tense. They were kind of stressing. And we kind of just looked at each other like, you know, we we get one stop at a time. We can really finish this game. And I think when Nert came, you know, we were down eight or nine points. He really gave us a boost. I had just I had just uh, missed a I had just missed a three, I believe. And Nurk kind of looked at me. He was like, keep going, bro. Keep being aggressive. Keep attacking. And I was like, you're right, bro. I got to be more aggressive and assertive. And I think all those things played a factor in the game. But the stops that we were able to get, you know, being down 15, you know, I think we held them to two points the last four minutes. Yeah. I think that was the real difference in the game. Offensively, we had some big shots. But I think being able to get stops is what really put us over the hump. So I guess my question for you is, at what point did you think – you're raising up, you know, from 40 when we got that last rebound. Uh, Chief gets to stop with about 15 seconds left. I'm I'm signaling go. I'm looking like it's. I look yeah. at the the replay. It's like four or five seconds. I'm like go go. At what point did you know you was raising up? Uh, once you got the rebound with 15 seconds. Uh, well, at first I was going at about eight seconds. I was going to walk him down. Like I was going to walk him down a little bit closer. Um, but then I was he had he was kind of far back from me, and I was like from that range, you know, typically people would be like, oh, don't take that shot. But I was standing there looking like, man, I feel good if I could just raise up from right here. Um, and he was back. And then, like, I think he looked at the clock and he saw that it was winding down and I probably wasn't going to have a choice but to shoot it. But that was, at that point, it was too late. And he stepped up a little bit. And I just kind of sidestepped and, and rose up. But I knew I was going to shoot it at, like, probably like six, six, seven seconds. I already knew what shot I was going to take. The difficulty level, Dane, was was just enormous because not only was it a 37-footer, you sidestepped, you got Paul George, one of the premier defenders in the league. Uh, the internet, I don't know if you saw this, fellas, but the internet has declared 
That shot was the coldest buzzer beater in the last 25 years. Uh, Paul George said after, I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> that's not a good shot. But for you, it was a good shot, wasn't it? It was a good shot. I think a lot of people don't know what goes into, you know, the, the moments. And that's because they're not the one that's there. Um, you know, I, I literally work on those shots. And I don't work on it so I can just come out and just shoot it for the whole game. I work on it just because over my career, I know how much attention I'm going to get from defenses. So it's just like you just keeping stuff, adding more things, adding more and more, and keeping stuff in your pocket um, in case these type of situations do present itself. And even if it's not something you want to lean on, it's something that you have there that, you know, you worked on, you spent time doing, so you got confidence in it when the time does come. So that's why when I was just standing there, I was like, well, it's probably not good in a lot of people's eyes, but I'm comfortable with this and I'm confident in this. So to me, it's a, a solid shot. And I mean, for him to say that's a bad shot, I mean, that was, that's just kind of being a poor sport. Um, if anything, it was bad defense because I had the ball in my hands with two seconds and it, I wasn't going to drive. So, Maybe he should have just bodied up. So as soon as he lunged, because it looked like he lunged a little bit, that was almost you saying, I'm going to use that momentum against you. I'm going to create my space to get it off because I know I have enough time. Yeah, I mean, he was. it was like two seconds left or two and a half seconds left, and he was still a little bit off. There was some space between us. And as he was stepping towards me, I was I stepped away from him. So the little space that he did try to – the ground that he did try to gain, I basically created that ground right back just by stepping to the side. So when he did jump and contest it, I kind of like I knew he was there, but I had a I had a good good look at the rim, and I was like a, a comfortable amount of space between us to where it was like I, you can ignore the defender. I don't think people realize how much time you spend in the gym, how much effort you put into your game, not just from a preparation standpoint of breaking down film, but on working on specific game-like shots, shots from the logo, yeah. step-backs, right, step-back, or like you call yeah. it, pound dribbles. So I guess my question for you is just to kind of explain to the fans out there how much attention to detail you and Phil Beckner pay. Shout out to Phil Beckner, who's you know played a improbable role in the development of you. He's, he's also helped me out break it down, film on my shot, sending me clips of stuff. But just kind of discuss the preparation you guys put in late nights in the gym shooting late nights in the gym shooting in Oklahoma, you know, specifically him pointing the spots on the floor, telling you to shoot from there, telling you that he has a feeling mm-hmm. that you're going to hit a big shot from there just to kind of let things come full circle. So the fans really understand that you're not just out there experimenting games. It, there's thousands and thousands right. of reps coming, a 10,000 hour rule. Yeah, I mean, and it, then you bring it to the game. Exactly. It comes, you get confidence to do that stuff in the game from all those hours and, all of the time that you put in working on it. And me and Phil is like, we'll see stuff on film and he'll be like, look, Dan, you can get this. Um, like it's a few shots that I've made in, in that series against OKC where I pump fake and I'm like in a standstill and I just kind of dip and just you like get into my legs and just raise up off of, a, off of a standstill. I made a few threes like that and people was like, oh, that's a, a crazy shot. That's a bailout shot. And in my mind, sometimes when I head fake and they don't go for it, and I got to just go straight up from where I'm standing and make that shot, I work on that. So, like, for me, it's all the time that you put in. We focus on details. We watch clips. We watch my body. We watch 
my gather off the dribble. We watch the direction. We watch where the defender is. It's just so much that we talk about while we're doing it. And we're not always going extra hard in a workout. It's just focused on the details and working on getting that feeling of how it feels when you when your body is doing the right thing and when you just having the, the right motion to make the shot. And everybody don't don't focus, you know, that close on details. And for me, it's paid off because now I can I can correct myself in game. I can correct myself in the middle of a play and stuff like that. It's the confidence, Dame. So from all that work and that efficient work, not knowing when exactly you're going to use some of this stuff, for instance, the shot last night, but knowing that you have that in your arsenal, you've worked on it, and you can implement that when you need in a game, even if it's at the most critical moment. Yeah, I mean, like, because you, you've done it so much that you can you can trust it. You know, if if you worked on something one or two times and then in the game you get in that position, you're going to be like, ah, you're going to stick to what you're comfortable with. You're going to stick to what you trust. And I've done these things so much, you know, I've spent so much time doing it that, like, I trust it. You know, at first, I could always shoot from deep because I was strong enough and I just had the, the confidence in my ability to shoot. And then I started actually working on extending my range and making it a good shot for me. So now when I shoot it, I'm just like, it's a good shot to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I trust it to where it's like, I don't care if coach don't like it when I shoot this shot. I don't care what the, the other team is saying. We'll live with it or whatever because when I'm taking it, I'm taking it knowing that this is a comfortable shot. This is a good shot for me because I've shot it hundreds and hundreds of times. There's three things I've noticed in your game since um, since I got drafted in 2013. Three things I've really noticed from an improvement standpoint. I think that your playmaking ability, I think you could always playmate, but I think now you're more conscious of you know when you want to attack and take over games versus when you want to kind of orchestrate and inside the table and I think your vision has improved in terms of like DB always talks about sight versus vision seeing the court understanding mm -hmm. the spacing of the court when to attack versus when to get chief involved versus when to get Nurk involved and now it's getting Ennis involved I think that was the first thing I noticed in your game I think the second thing is you're finishing around the basket um, a lot of times you know, athletic guards, they go in, they try to get contact, they try to finish, and then they kind of figure it out. I think you figured out how to balance floaters with quick finishes, with strong finishes, with taking contact. And people would talk about the three you hit, but I think some of them layups you made throughout the game were just as impressive because of, you know, having to carry the load, play 24 straight minutes, which shows your conditioning. Garden Russ, who's trying to get downhill every play and still being able to hold your own defensively while being picked up full court by a guy who's coming in fresh off the bench. And then right. the third thing I noticed uh, besides, you know, the strength, the agility is the defense. And I just wanted to talk about our focus going into this playoffs. Cause a lot of people, you know, will talk about, you know, how we score a lot and we keep everybody uh, on their toes. And my brother will always say the best, um, defense is offense, being able to attack. But there aren't many guards that can go get, you know, 30, 40, 50, 25 consistently and and hold their opponent to under 40% shooting from the field. And I think three out of the five games we played, we held them under 100. And no one will really talk about that. But just kind of talk about yeah. the maturation process, process you've made as a player and how that's impacted our team, specifically at the defensive end and from a leadership standpoint. Uh, I think just, you know, once you, you get in the league and – you know, you get a position. You know, I was starting from day one. I had a lot of freedom from day one, just a lot of opportunity. And 
you know, a lot of people was like, oh, you know, he he won rookie of the year. And, you know, I was given a lot of credit for what I did as a rookie, but in my eyes, you know, I, I always felt like I could be better at a lot of stuff. And, you know, when I go through my stuff with Phil and with DV, you know, one of the main things is I'm not scared to look in the mirror and address what I need to, to be better at. Uh, I think a lot of people just get uncomfortable, you know, when they don't do something well. Like, I didn't, I couldn't shoot floaters good. I couldn't shoot uh, pull-ups off my right hand good. I couldn't make passes with both hands. You know, I, I couldn't guard the post really well. So, like, watching film and addressing the stuff, like seeing it for your own, too, for yourself. Like, I don't do this well. When you're seeing all these different instances where you get hit by pick and rolls and you get back down in the post and you're not contesting shots and your man is having 30 points and they talking trash and all this stuff. And then you you attacking and you miss a finish at the rim and somebody was wide open in the corner. The person that contested it was guarding the person in the corner. Um, just stuff like that. Uh, you know, where you come in, you attacking the big and the big is timing you and you're not paying attention to that. You're going fast instead of striding out or instead of taking the glide dribble away from them. They going to the rim. You're going towards kind of back towards the three-point line at an angle to shoot a fadeaway pull-up, just stuff like that. So watching film and just looking in, the, looking in the mirror, being honest with yourself, saying I need to be better at this. and I need to be willing to look at it and, and address myself that way so I can improve. It's an advantage to be able to do that because a lot of people just don't want to do it. And I think every year I try to do that, you know, even in after my first and second and third, fourth All-Star game, I'm just like, I'm like, I realize the results that I get from that or that I've got from that over my career. So I'm constantly going back and I'm forcing myself to look at stuff like, yeah, you got a first team All-NBA, but you need to do this. You didn't do this well. Your team, you all got swept. Like I'm forcing myself to, to just kind of be honest, be honest about the stuff that I see and what's not good enough, and say it's not good enough, and address it. So, um, I think that's the the biggest thing in in growth is being being willing to address the stuff that you don't do well. So, Dame, then it's it's basically being comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? Like addressing it realizing that you have a deficiency or something you really want to improve on that you need to improve on. And then when you're comfortable to actually use a move or a shot in a game, does it become second nature to you, even though it's not something necessarily that you've been working on that long? Yes. I mean, a lot of it is second nature. Um, but it's just, I don't know. Like I, I find myself in a situation like, for example, like the one I just gave y'all where, I was literally like right before the playoffs start started. I was in the gym with Phil, and we was working on like if I was coming off, if I had an ISO, and I just kind of jab at somebody and shoot, try to shoot a step back. So I would shoot a step back three, and then I would step back and pump fake without moving my feet and just raise up exactly where my feet were, like just raise straight up like that. And a lot of times I would miss short because it's a difficult shot with no momentum. You just jump back. You got to raise straight up. It's from a from the three point line. Like I was hitting front rim a lot, so in the game I had never done it, but I just kept working on it, kept working on it, and I got that feeling of how I had to shoot it from that position, how much higher I had to shoot it, how much more I had to dip with my legs, um, how much higher I had to to try to shoot the ball just to to get it up in the air and make sure it was far enough. 
And then I got the feeling of, okay, usually when I, the ones that I make, this is how it feels when I do it. I learned that, that feeling and that process of that shot. And then in the game, I just randomly found myself in that position because I tried to shoot a step back and the defender didn't jump, but the shot clock was running out. And then in my mind, it just clicked. So I think when you just spend time just doing it over and over and over, and then you find yourself in that position, it'll click when you actually put in the time in. So, I mean, that's that's how it is for me. What's crazy about that is that, so that shot you hit last night and learning how to do it and feeling comfortable enough to use it in a game, you, you almost created that shot in the lab, so to speak, before the playoffs, learning how to rise from that far up and get the ball that, that high up? No, that that deep shot, the game winner last night, I've been, like the entire summer, we was work, was doing a bunch of stuff where just extending my range. And like I said earlier, just turning it into a good shot for me. You know, not just, oh, he shot a deep three, but like actually turning that into right. a good shot for me to take. Um, but the shot that I started working on, like before the playoffs, was head faking and raising straight up. Like kind of like how Kobe used to do. He would head mm-hmm. fake and his feet are planted. And then he just raised up and just fade. And it's just like a super tough shot that you don't want to shoot all the time. But if that situation presented, so you can like, you know what you need to do to make it. Um, so, I mean, and I think I made two of those like step backs, head fake and just raise up. I think I made two of them in that series. You hit one in game three on the road in the first half. I remember it was tough at the end of the shot clock. And I think you hit another one at home. Um, one was right wing, one was one left wing. I hit one at home, and then I hit one over Schroeder in the first half. I like hit, I stepped back, like, head back, jump, and then I just I shot it in that spot. Man, that was tough. And my last question for you: We asked Twitter uh, for some questions, and I got a really good one from Jack Southworth. Jack South twenty five is his handle. Um, actually, yeah, he asked about the shot compared to five years ago, and in. in in Houston, I think you already gave a comment on that, you know, basically saying that there's a difference because in that series we were down and this one we were up, but the but the moment was bigger um, because of mm-hmm. what was at stake and the fact that your uh, family was sitting courtside. So I guess my question is, your your brother was courtside, your sister, your mom, how special was that to be able to celebrate, you know, with your brother? I think they got a dope picture of you and your brother, you know, kind of face-to-face giving each other a hug. Mm-hmm. Um kind of walk us through those emotions. Uh, I have a brother that I'm very close with, so I know what it's like, you know, to have a big brother that's kind of guided you through life, you know, been there through thick and thin, rebounded for you, critiqued you, gave you the honesty when you needed it. Just kind of walk us through those emotions of, you know, having your family there. No, it was, it was real. It was just one of those real moments. You know, I think um, my brother was just, like your brother, like I I be around for y'all conversations and just the bond that y'all have. And I'm like, I feel it 100% because that's how me and my brother is. It's just that that big brother, little brother bond. Like, when I saw the moves and the movements and the way I play the game, I got it from my brother. Like, everything that I do, I learned it from him first, and I just kind of worked at it more, and it's turned into me being an NBA player. But he was there every step of the way. Like, my brother going to go D1. My brother going to go to the league. Like, Constantly challenging me, you need to do this, you don't do this good enough. Just being that that honest person that just pushed me every day my whole life, challenged me every day my whole life. And uh, nobody knows 
the way that I'm built more so than my brother because he's been there every step of the way. So when you have a moment like that and he's there to witness it, we didn't even really say a word to each other. We was just kind of face to face, just like acknowledging like this is what we this is what we built. You know, this is what we built for. And this is this is how you're supposed to do it. This is how you handle your business. And that was it. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope, man. You know, what was so interesting with the whole series was the dichotomy between you and Russ and how emotional he was getting and how stoic you were. And it, it just seemed like you were keeping everything uh, on the inside and you were just letting him talk, letting Schroeder talk, but handling your business. And then collectively as a team, you guys were doing the same thing. So how much, of, how much of that emotion came out, you know, the wave by and, it just, that was incredible in the moment. How much of that was a manifestation? I mean, I was like, I mean, I was talking back, you know, I said some stuff over the course yeah. of the series, but it wasn't from an emotional uh, place. It was more just a competitive spirit than it was me being emotional about it. And I thought they were emotional. Uh, with our team, I think a lot of the stuff that we did, it was like, even when we beat them, the first two games and we was hyping our crowd and hyping each other. You know, we never turned to them and um, pointed at them and screamed nothing at them. We did it amongst ourselves and with our crowd. You know what I'm saying? And with them, it was like everything was just demonstrative towards our team. They was doing stuff towards our team. Uh, they Paul George dunked the ball at the end of game three, uh, game three at the buzzer. He dunked at the end of the buzzer. Dennis Schroeder pointing to his wrist like Dame time. Um, Russell Westbrook rocking the baby. I mean, like, all that stuff was just, that was stuff directly at us as a team. And to me, that was, you know, more emotional on their behalf than us. And I think that was to our advantage. You know, we just kind of stayed in our in our own little lane. We did what we do. We took the challenge and uh, we won the series. How much of that from last year, fellas, both of you, how much How much of that experience in that series with New Orleans allowed you to be this confident and this grounded, to your point, Dane? I think it was huge, you know, just a part of our growth and our maturity. And um, coming into it, it was it was like on one, on one side, you like, I don't want to go through that again. And we put all this time in. We had a great season let's come out here and be aggressive. You know, let's come out here and make sure it don't happen again. Then on the other side, it was like, we've seen the worst of the worst. Like we've already felt the bottom. We've already been drugged through the mud, you know, all summer basically about the performance. So we, we know what the worst feel like. We know what we, we've been through it. So we coming into it now and we're not afraid of that. If it happens, we've already experienced that. So we kind of was just, I think our team just had an aggressive mentality, um, more fearless, you know, just because we went through what we went through. So uh, I think that's how it was. Yeah, I agree. I think it helped build character. You know, at the time, you never want to go through getting swept. You know, every time you turn on the TV, it's just negative energy, negative vibes coming towards you, directed towards you. And people critiquing your game, saying you need to improve on this or you can't do that or this is not going to work. And, you know, it can mess with your psyche if you're not mentally strong, if you're not tough, tough-minded and, you know, 
a, a person who enjoys challenges, you can crumble. And I think that our, our team rose to the occasion and, you know, relished the opportunity to prove ourselves, relish the opportunity to not only prove to ourselves, but to, to prove to our organization, to prove to outsiders that we built for this and that, you know, you go through trials and tribulations, you go through tough losses and uh, you learn from those mistakes. And I think we learn from them. And although it sucked to go through it, I think it's the best thing that could have happened to us because now we can deal with losses. You know, we can deal with the pressure better. We can understand how to perform you know, in certain situations a little bit better based on what our previous experiences were like. Awesome. Man, Dame, thank you so much, man. For sure, man. Appreciate y'all having me, bro. It's our pleasure, yeah, man. Appreciate you, bro. More show in a minute. But first, stop what you're doing and look down at your left wrist. Because our friends at MVMT Watches has exactly what you're missing. MVMT has you covered with tons of quality, clean, and all-around good-looking watches and accessories that are affordable and can be ordered right from your couch. I personally love their classic black link watch because it's simple, but it's bold. The thing I like most about my watch is its versatility. I can wear out for a formal black tie event or a laid back barbecue with friends and family. Plus, it's red and black, which doesn't hurt either. MVMT watches also make a great gift, just in time for summer. Whether you're buying for yourself or a loved one, they have a ton of accessories, including sunglasses and interchangeable watch straps. MVMT watches start at just $95, so you're guaranteed to find something you love that won't break the bank. These guys are truly a ground-up entrepreneur success story. They understand living on a tight budget because they've lived it too. And that's why they wanted to make quality products that are accessible to everyone. They've sold over 2 million watches across more than 160 countries, and their collections are always expanding. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash pullup. See why MVMT keeps growing. Check out their expanding collection. Go to mvmt.com slash pull up. Join the movement. Okay, back to the show. Once again, I want to thank my homie Dane for, for calling into the pull up pod and discussing, you know, emotions, work ethic, some of the things we've done to improve upon uh, our games individually and collectively as a unit. And just for I'm talking about this series and looking forward to the next. Uh, good dude, as always, hard worker. You know, thankful to have him as a teammate and friend. All right. Go ahead, Jordan. I know you got a great question for me. Let's do it. Okay, Mr. McCollum. So for me, I just would say with everything that transpired last year to what Dane was just saying and what you were talking about, would you take back what happened in the Pelican series, not just losing but getting swept, or was it that important for your growth both both individually and collectively as a team? I th- yeah, I don't I don't have any regrets, man. I, I approached it the right way. I prepared as best I could, and, and it's just unfortunate things didn't work out. I mean, we were in every game. I think games one and two, uh, we were down two with a minute left. I got a turnover. Um, game two, we were down three with one forty left, and we just didn't execute properly. But I'm I'm glad. Honestly, I'm glad we went through it. It sucks when you go through it at the time, but um, you never want to lose. But I think that it just teaches you something. It teaches you something. It helps you uh, really appreciate this game. It helps you prepare and train differently um, from an execution standpoint. I think everybody gains a unique type of experience that you don't have from from winning. You know, when you win, things kind of get smoothed over. You kind of forget about some of the areas you need to improve on. When you lose, it's it's glaring. 
you know, all right, I have to get better at this. I have to get better at this. I have to mentally lock in a little bit more here and there. I understand the game a little bit better when it's five minutes left in the game and your work ethic changes. It evolves because you're afraid to fail the same way again. So you want to try to do everything in your power to not go through those same things. Even if you played well, you want to play better. You want to be more efficient. You want to be more impactful. You want to be better defensively. Your conditioning, you want to improve. And I think that when you fail, your mindset is that, okay, you revamp everything. You revamp your diet, you revamp your mentality, you revamp your sleep, you revamp your recovery. You kind of amp things up and, and adapt because of the lack of success. And when you have success, you, you pretty much keep things the same. You might work a little bit harder, you might tinker, but you're winning and you're having success, so you're not gonna make significant changes. And I think we made significant changes as a team. Everybody's approach was different. Everybody was more locked in, more focused, fearless, not worried because of the fact that we had already hit rock bottom. So we knew what rock bottom felt like, so there was nothing to worry about. We already got swept. We already been drug on all national media sites. We've already been proposed in trades. Like, what's worse than that? Failure can be the greatest medicine. I remember watching the playoffs with you last year uh, after you were knocked out, and I just, like, I don't know how much time you took off, but it wasn't very long. You wanted to get back in the gym. It was like, I remember thinking like, damn, man, take, 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 take a couple, couple weeks off, you know, but you didn't want to do it. You just, you relocked in. It's all, it's all for this moment, these moments. Yeah, man. It's, it's hard to not work out when you go through something like that. You, you get the itch and you want to go hoop. You want to start improving your game, but you have to let your body rest properly. And I had, I had gotten a PRP shot in my knee and I was forced to not, to not like really hoop for eight weeks. So I was just lifting, hot yoga, free throws, no jumping um, for about a month and a half. And that was hard, man. It was hard watching the playoff games and you get motivated and you want to go work on your game and you can't because you physically need to take a break. And it was good. I got to really study film. I got to really work on some things mentally uh, to prepare, you know, for the moments that are ahead. Last thing for me, C, is uh, after a, after an emotional game like that, that's so captivating as fans i can imagine how crazy it was as a player what do you do when you finally get home are you watching game of thrones like like i we were texting a little bit last night but it was still it was still kind of early your time i don't even know if you were home yet were you were you like watching netflix yeah. are you watching highlights what, what are you doing yeah i didn't get home till about midnight i was exhausted man i, I facetimed my my girl she, i told her to go to sleep because she couldn't sleep she's on the east coast time and i was like you need to get some rest it's late and my ears were ringing and I was hanging up my suit and I didn't have anything on, no music, no nothing. I could just hear ringing from just screaming and yelling and how loud the arena was. And uh, I made me a plate. Chef B had uh, cooked enough pregame for me to have something to eat afterwards. So I ate some pasta with my homies, um, drank some water and set my alarm clock and went to sleep. I didn't even watch Netflix. I still have to watch Billions. I'm behind <laughs> an episode, so I'm going to watch Billions. And then there I'm going to start rewatching some Game of Thrones season six and seven. But it's just you go through that process of watching highlights, you know, get your social media posts in, you're reading comments, laughing and stuff, and then it's back to reality, you know, watching games tonight and then refocusing for, you know, round two of whoever we're going to face. Two quick follows. One is... uh what was more emotionally draining, CJ? The Lehigh-Duke game or last night? Man, uh, wow. Two different types of emotion. The Lehigh-Duke game, I was playing for my livelihood. So you're talking about a college kid, you know, trying to 
you know, perform on a big stage, understand that this might be my last my last time playing in front of um, a nationally televised audience, you know, six, seven million people in the tournament. There's no guarantee you make it, and there's no guarantee there's another game. So that was that was pretty stressful, you know, going into the game just because of what was at stake. But I always, you know, trust my work ethic. So I think that the butterflies were different. It was just more of like a unknown, unknown feeling of like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know I'm going to play well. The game last night, the nerves, the butterflies were different. I get three fouls. I have to watch. I sit for about a 55 minutes real time. I sit the entire second quarter, halftime, and then have to play. You know, it was a weird rhythm. It was a weird feeling. And then we get down by 15. But I was never really worried because it's a seven-game series. And I felt like we had a chance to win that game. But in the event that we didn't win that game, there was still, at the most, two games to be played for us to win one. So I liked our chances in that situation. So I think it was just two different types of emotions. But the stakes were different. The stakes were higher because I'm in college. If I don't perform well, I'm judged based on that moment. It's like, all right, he's not ready for the for the NBA. Like he can't play against these guys. Like his his level of talent doesn't meet, you know, the NBA criteria. At this point, like I've I've shown who I am, what I can what I can accomplish as a player, what I can do. And it's a best of seven series. But we really wanted to win and get rid of him. Last question. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, because it was amazing to watch a hundred times on repeat. That little mini wave goodbye that you had, that that like what was going on there? You saw Dane waving, and then you were like, "I gotta get in on this, but make it quick." Like, what was that? Yeah, it was just a, a roller coaster of emotions, man. I was just happy he hit the shot, and I was like, "Wow, we just won the game." So I'm running, and then I look, and I was like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, they was talking crazy." You know what I mean? It was just one of those things where it was like, "Oh yeah, you almost forgot," but then you remembered, and it was just like, you know what? You know, the series is over. What more can we say? Talk to me nice, please. <laughs> it's just great because and that was that. It, it was just great because you're because at your core, you, you're such a nice guy, but you, you're so comp- you're you're such a competitor, and obviously there were a lot of emotions that were going on in your head. And when you when you watch it, it's almost like you're like, yeah, like you said, like, oh yeah, I got to get that little mini wave in, but uh, you know, I don't want to be disrespect. You know, like I want to. It was just there's so much going on there. That from my perspective, yeah. watching it two in the morning with wifey asleep, I was like going nuts because I, I just thought it was hilarious knowing you and also like knowing how emotional that must have been. Yeah. I mean, you've been in that situation, not in a sense that of we've seen a game winner be hit on us, but we've been eliminated from series in embarrassing fashion. Um, we know what it's like to to be down. We know what it's like to be pissed off. And, you know, when when you have a chance to really kill someone, you just kill them. You don't have to twist the knife. You don't have to overdo it. You already stabbed them. They're going to bleed out. You don't have to twist the knife. It's over. And I think that we got to that point where they were wounded and we knew it. And we want to take advantage of them, finish them off, and then bow out. There's nothing else that needs to be said. The series is over. You can think what you want about us as players. You can think what you want as, about us as an organization. You can say things about the shots, if it was a bad shot, if it, was, who, it doesn't matter. The series is over. Enjoy your summer. Mm. <laughs> I want to end on that note, but uh, Nurk coming back was pretty great. That was pretty great, I must say. Yeah, and he man. Was, he was wearing the... Uh, yeah, man, that's my guy. That was I, hilarious. I, he was wearing the uh, Got Brick shirt. That was pretty great. 
And aside from that, I talked to, uh, I was talking to DV earlier today and he's, he thought it was huge. Um, not that it's surprising to hear, but when a guy can't play, it really, he can really make that big of an impact. Man, he changed the game for us. And we had no idea he was coming. The shirt was hilarious. I, I had no idea he was wearing the shirt until I seen, uh, seen the locker room. That's how locked in we were. But the crowd understanding of what we need to accomplish, the, the extra energy, you know, it all came from seeing him and having him come out here, um, show his support for us and encourage us and give us that extra inspiration and grit that we needed to, to come from behind and pull it off. There it is, bro. Awesome. We didn't discuss the draft, and this is how I know I'm in a good spot mentally and physically with, with supporting my Browns because I'm not even worried about the draft for the first time in a decade. I have no idea what picks we have. I just know that we're in a really good spot. So my only question for you, Jordan, is who's going number one? Wow, I love it. I didn't know this was coming. Um, man, it's tough because Kyler Murray is uh, is someone that Cliff Kingsbury clearly has coveted. He recruited him. He thinks he'd be a great quarterback for a system, it, it feels like. And uh, he very may well be. But they have Josh Rosen, who they drafted high last year. And, um, you know, it's just hard to to predict it because there's – you know, he are you just ready to move on that quickly from Rosen? The guy's incredibly talented, right? So I, I would assume it's Murray. Um, I talked to a uh, a former executive last night who said two things that stood out. One, Kyler Murray's a really good player, but he's not definitely not the best player in the draft. And that two, Nick Bosa is the best player in the draft. And uh, it sounded like he would have taken him first overall if he had the pick. Mm, okay, okay. So there could be a trade. There could be a quarterback taken. I look forward to watching the draft. I'll be checking it out, seeing what happens, seeing the movement, you know, around the league, and checking out who we draft because I don't have no idea what picks even, we have or anything. And you're not even worried. Not even worried, but I will have my tomorrow. I will wear my jersey. I will wear my Browns jersey in honor of draft day because it's tradition. Tradition I love has it. to continue. I love it. We didn't talk about playoff matchups, so I have to before we close. I have to ask you: Milwaukee Bucks or Boston? Well, I had the Bucks going Raptors to the finals. Or so. Sixers. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go Bucks. Um, oh, you got the Bucks going to the finals. Yeah, yeah. I'll go Bucks Raptors. Um, I don't think Bucks Raptors. Yeah, I don't think people understand how much Milwaukee has matured and how much better they are on both sides of the ball. And then Toronto, I, I just think Kawhi is the best player in that series. And as long as Joel's not a hundred percent, and we know he's not, I know he's played great, but Brooklyn's a different animal. That's a very young team. I just think Toronto's has an edge. They also have the home court. I like it. I like it. And then I'll have to ask you then, since this comes out on Thursday, in the event that both the Rockets and Warriors win tonight, who do you like in that series? Warriors in five. Five? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, wow. I know I know that that's uh, unconventional. I, I think the Warriors are, are pretty locked in. I think they, that game against... Against the Clippers, set them in motion to be in this place where they're going to handle Houston because they know they, they know they're going probably going to get you. <laughs> Portland, <laughs> how about those Blazers? Rip City, baby. I like it. You got a second round matchup with like Denver it. or San Antonio. Uh, I think you guys match up great against both those teams. If it is Warriors Blazers, that'd be a rematch of a uh, first round series a few years back, and. Um, that would be a that would be a real treat. And CJ, I must say, man, uh, 
I I am so happy for you. you. You have worked so hard to get to this position. Congratulations, and uh, enjoy this moment. I appreciate that, man. I do. I do. Once again, we want to thank all our listeners for listening to the Pull Up Pod. We appreciate Dane for calling in as well. Um, really looking forward to the rest of the playoffs in round two. A lot of work to be done, but we're looking forward to the challenge. Jordan, I hope you're enjoying your time back in the city. I'll see you when I see you. You can catch our shows on radio.com backslash pull up or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up.